Turn your Bibles, if you would. We're going to be at the end of Genesis chapter 41, moving into chapter 42. So the end of Genesis 41. Now, as you're turning there, what do you call a pig that knows martial arts? A pork chop. Pork chop. What do you call... Or, or why was the pig covered in ink? Why was the pig covered in ink? Because it lived in a pen. A pen. I'll explain it to you whenever you head. I get it. Amen. In our last message, we left off as Joseph has just been promoted to second in command over all of Egypt. As Pharaoh said, only his throne was above Joseph. Amen? Pharaoh has charged him with preparing the entire nation for the coming devastating seven-year famine. And all of this at the young age of 30 years old. Now, as we come to the end of of Genesis chapter 41, Pharaoh gives Joseph a wife. She is the the daughter of the priest of On, O-N, and and Pharaoh gives her to uh, uh, Joseph as a wife. Let's pick up in verse 50. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Aseneth, the daughter of uh, Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, right after Ephraim is born, the seven-year just an absolutely devastating famine begins. Skip down to verse 53. Then the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Egypt, ended, and the seven years of famine began, as as Joseph had said. The famine was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. So we see as chapter 42 comes or 41 comes to an end it's the beginning of the incredible devastating famine and it's not just um you know within the borders of egypt it's across all the lands it's a worldwide famine the bible is telling us just to give you the magnitude of what's happening now let's uh let's move into chapter 42 let's start at verse 1 when jacob again this is joseph's father When Jacob saw that there was a grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? 
And he said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there, that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, Lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold it, sold it to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them, and he spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, Where do you come from? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. And he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, No, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, Your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I spoke to you, saying, You are spies. In this manner you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you, and let him bring your brother, and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. All right, so before we really dig into our message today, I just want to, you know, know how many are, are like me, where we remember the things that we should forget, and we forget the things that we should remember. Amen? Far too often, we remember the things that we should have forgotten a long time ago, and we remember the things, or we forget the things that we should have remembered. There's another way to kind of put it. When we've been wronged, how many of us do not allow God's Holy Spirit to erase that wrong? Allow him to erase that, uh, that hurt from our memory? Or do we hold a grudge? You know, make that mental list of all the wrongs and then wait and plan for our payback. Amen? Too often, that's the response of our flesh. What would you do if you were in Joseph's shoes? Think about it. Think about this incredible situation that God has put this young man in. Would you take that opportunity to get that long-awaited revenge? 
to get that payback against the very ones that sold you into slavery, to, that, that put you in this position for those last 20 years of suffering? Falsely accused, jailed, forgotten? This is just an absolutely unbelievable set of circumstances that God has put together for Joseph. How amazing is God who absolutely controls all of our circumstances, amen? All of our circumstances. We see this 30-year-old Joseph in charge of all of Egypt and in the middle of this devastating famine. And now he comes face to face with the very brothers that sold him into slavery cast him off as dead some 20 years ago. How's Joseph going to handle this? Let's backtrack a little bit. Let's go back to verse 1. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. So again, we see Jacob, Joseph's father. He tells ten of his sons, the very ones that, that sold Joseph into slavery, to go down to Egypt to buy the food that they desperately needed. Now, just a reminder, you know, we have the luxury of being able to read ahead and go back and know the whole story. But Jacob, Joseph's father, nor his brothers, they don't know anything about Joseph. They don't know anything about all these events that have been happening in, in uh, Egypt. They don't know his title. They don't know that he is second in command. All that they know is their father heard that there was food in Egypt and they were sent on a mission. Amen? They had already cast Joseph off as dead. He's the last person they expected to see. And then on the flip side, you think about Joseph. He, he hadn't heard one thing about his father or his brothers in those 20 years either. He knows nothing about what's been going on in his family. The brothers had one goal, to go by and bring back food. And Joseph had one main job every single day, and that was to distribute food to those in need. So God sets the stage for this dramatic reunion between these brothers and Joseph. Amen? Skip down to verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph... You know, he was doing what he did every single day since the famine began. 
But something out of the ordinary happened on this particular day that caught his attention. Something stood out and caught his eye. Ten bearded men dressed in their traditional Hebrew clothes stood before him and bowed their faces to the ground wanting food. And as they bowed down, the Bible tells us that Joseph recognized his brothers. But think of Joseph. He was dressed in Egyptian royal clothing. He was in charge. He was the governor of the land, second in charge. And he also spoke in Egyptian. They had no idea who he was. He was unrecognizable to them. And just to be honest, they didn't really treat him as family anyhow, did they? Threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, wrote him off as dead. And Joseph kept his identity hidden. And he kept the, the charade going by, by speaking roughly and speaking harshly to them. In verse 23, then they said one, uh, to one another, or I'm sorry, verse 23, but they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. Joseph spoke in, a, in the traditional Egyptian language. He had been in Egypt for 20 years. He had to learn the language. No doubt that started when he was a slave in Potiphar's house. So now he was fluent in Egyptian. And he wanted to continue to hide his identity, so he spoke to them through an interpreter. Let's go to verse 9. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. Now remember back in, in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph had two dreams. I'm going to read. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around, and they bowed down to my sheaf. And the brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. Now keep in mind the details of these dreams. How many sheaves bowed down to him? Eleven. How many stars? Eleven. Right? So it was eleven sheaves and eleven stars that bowed down before Joseph. But as, as we're reading here in chapter 42... How many brothers came to Egypt and bowed down? Only 10. Only 10 came. So this is not 
the fulfillment of that dream that God gave to Joseph. However, seeing them bow down, it, it, it stirred up his memory of those dreams. He then decides to buy some time, and he, he, he starts to, to accuse them of, of being spies. Second part of verse 9. He said, you are spies, you have come to see the nakedness of the land. The nakedness of the land. What is he talking about? He's talking about the weak areas of defense. He's talking about those unprotected, vulnerable areas of Egypt. So he accuses his brothers of spying out to try to find those weak spots in Egypt's defense. All he's trying to do is buy some time. Let's skip down to verse 10. And they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all of one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, No, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, Your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. A couple things stand out to what they said. How did they describe themselves? As honest men. <laughs> I'll give them hard working. There's no doubt. They were, they were hard working men, but I don't know about honest. They said their youngest was yet with their father. Who was the youngest? That was Benjamin. Benjamin was also the one closest to who? To Joseph. Benjamin was his favorite brother, the youngest. And one is no more, no more alive. They were talking about Joseph as, as they had cast him off as dead. Let's go down to verse 14. But Joseph said to them, It is as I spake to you, saying, You are spies. In this manner you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother, and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So Joseph has a plan just to buy some time. He has one purpose. Who does he want to see? He wants to see his brother. He wants to see the one missing brother, the one that he was closest to. He wants to see Benjamin. So he decides to hold them in prison for three days. And over the next few days, Joseph had a little more time to rethink his plan. Instead of keeping nine and sending one back to his father, he decides to keep one. And that's his brother Simeon. He decides to keep one brother, his brother Simeon, in jail and send the other nine back to Canaan. Let's skip down to verse 21 and pick up there. Then they said to one another, 
We are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them. Again, remember, Reuben is the oldest son. And the elder son, he was the one in charge of the family. He was responsible for the family when the father was absent. So Reuben answered them and said, Did I not speak to you saying, Do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. Thinking that no one could understand them, they began to talk amongst themselves in the Hebrew tongue. But more importantly, their, their guilty consciences begins to convict them. They finally accepted their guilt. They finally have accepted their sins against Joseph. They didn't make excuses. They didn't try to blame someone else. In this, in verse 21, you see they use the word we three times. We did it, and we are guilty, they concluded. We are rightly suffering this judgment because of what we did. Amen? That's a lesson that we can learn in today's society. No one any longer takes responsibility for their actions. Amen? It's always someone else's fault. And the reason they do that is so that they don't have to be accountable to God. If someone else is at fault, then I am not guilty. If I'm not guilty, that means I'm what? I'm innocent. That's the thinking. That's the thought process. A young Jewish girl, she was a survivor of the Holocaust. This is what she said. She said, God does not pay at the end of every day, but in the end, God does pay. Amen? That's that hard lesson that we have to learn that vengeance is of God. It's not ours to dispense. Payback is not ours to give. That belongs to God and he alone. I want you to notice something here, that Joseph confined them where? In prison. Ironically enough, more than likely, that is the same exact prison that he was confined to when he was falsely accused. You see the cycle? What is he doing to them? Falsely accusing them of being what? Spies. The irony. And just as God worked on Joseph in that same prison, God is going to work on these men. Verse 23. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spake to them through an interpreter. And he turned himself away from them, and he wept. And then he returned to them again, 
and he talked with them. And he took Simeon from them, and he bound him before their eyes. You see, Joseph listened in as they accepted their responsibility for what they did to him. They accepted their guilt. But he didn't take pleasure in it, did he? He didn't take pleasure in their agony, as let's be honest, most of us would, right? That was our revenge. That's our payback. They should suffer for what they did to me, right? Isn't that our fleshly response? They should suffer. They deserve to suffer. They deserve to squirm in anguish for what they did to me. Most of us, we would have held on tightly to that grudge. But not this young man, not Joseph. Joseph held no grudge. He had no resentment whatsoever. How do we know for sure? Go back to Genesis 41, verse 51. Joseph called the name of his firstborn son Manasseh. What does Manasseh mean? It means, for God has made me forget all my toil in my father's house. And all my father's house. God had worked on the heart of that young man all those years in prison. God had put him through these trials, through these hardships, to to bring all those impurities to the surface so that he could clean them away. And now we see that pure gold. We see how valuable his faith is. He named his son Manasseh in honor of the work that God had done in his heart. How God removed the pain. He removed that heartache. caused him to forget. Amen? He caused him to forget all the bad that was done to him. And he caused him to just remember the good. The very thing that I opened up with this morning that we struggle with, don't we? We struggle remembering the things we should and forgetting the things that we shouldn't remember. We struggle with that. But he named his son Manasseh. His son would be a daily reminder to him on how to live. And now, how He was to treat his brothers. He wasn't to get revenge. He wasn't to get his payback. He was not to return the evil that was dealt to him. But instead, he was to forgive and do good unto them. The same thing that that we hope that God does does to us every time that we sin. We pray and we ask God. We pray that he forgets those sins, don't we? 
We ask him to forgive us. And we pray and we hope that he treats us good tomorrow. Amen? Isn't that what we pray at the end of each day? We pray that God forgets all the bad things that we did and that he continues to treat us with his love and his grace and his mercy and his goodness. And that's what he expects of us to those that do evil to us as well. Amen? We are to forgive them just as he forgives us. And that opportunity stood right before Joseph. He hears his brothers breaking down in that prison cell. How does he react? It says he turned away and he wept. He cried. His compassion, that that pure heart that God had worked on and left him with that pure heart, it comes pouring out through his eyes. And not just through his eyes, but also through his actions. Look at verse 25. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. He not only restores all of their possessions... Now, part of their possessions was the money that they were to buy the grain with. But what did he do with that money? Did he keep it? He gave it right back to them. He filled up all their sacks with the grain that they were supposed to buy, and then he gave all their money back to them, and that wasn't all. Then he gave them additional provisions for that journey back to Canaan. Look at verse 27. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money, and there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, My money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God has done to us? They were full of fear. Why? What did they believe was happening? They're being set up, right? Not only are they leaving with all this grain, but they never paid for it. They're finally acknowledging God's hand at work in their lives. What is this that God has done to us? What is this situation that God has has allowed us to be put into? So let's be honest for a minute. Most of the time, we act like the brothers more than we do Joseph, don't we? Amen? Just being honest. Most of the time, we act more like the brothers than we do Joseph, don't we? But here's the great thing. Just as God convicted their consciences, he can and he will do the same for us. Let's consider how. There's two main ways. First, God convicts our conscience 
when we receive the same unfair treatment, I want you to listen to this. When we receive the same unfair treatment that we are guilty of giving someone else. That's a deep one, isn't it? When we are treated in return just as bad as we once treated someone else. That is when God really works on our conscience, isn't it? The same hurt, the same pain, the same heartache that we gave someone else, when it comes back to us, that is when it starts to convict us. And when it starts to convict us, that is when God is able to work upon our hearts, inside of us. That's what we're seeing with Joseph's brothers here. They are now experiencing that same hurt that they dished out to their brother Joseph, aren't they? The same false accusations that put him in prison, put them in prison. That same fear of not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. Many of you here today know exactly what I'm talking about. Amen. Second way. God convicts our consciences when we receive undeserved kindness and grace. Amen? When we receive undeserved kindness and grace. Joseph's brothers, they didn't deserve their money back. They didn't deserve to have their sacks filled with grain. They certainly didn't deserve to have those extra provisions for the trip home, did they? In that day and time, what they deserved was probably death for attempted murder. For casting their brother off as dead, selling him into slavery. Is that what they got? Instead, they were set free with bags full of money and food. It was Joseph's kindness. It was his mercy unto them that started to convict their consciences. It opened up their spiritual eyes to God's working in their lives. Amen? So I want to close with this question and a comment. How many of you here today, and I don't want you to raise your hand, this is between you and God. How many here today have a mental list of those who have hurt you? How many of you have a scorecard of all the things they said or did wrong to you? If you do, I urge you to tear it up. Amen? I urge you to tear it up and just throw it away. Get rid of it before your conscience is hardened and your heart becomes too cold and too calloused to respond to God's loving voice, to respond to his tender touch. Amen? Do this for your own good. 
do it for what Christ has done for you. Do you know Jesus did the same for us? Colossians 2.14 Jesus, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, the handwriting of, requ- of requirements that is against us, that is all of our sins. Amen? That is the list of every one of our sins. And it says, having wiped out that handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And Jesus has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Amen. You see, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He took that list of all of our sins that was against us. All of the sins that we were guilty of. It was against us, but we committed them against whom? Against him. All of our sins are against him. And he took that list of sins. And he nailed it to Calvary's cross. Never to be remembered ever again. Amen.